0: that you're joining us. Um, many of you, as you saw the title and the bulletin, maybe thought that it would have been a good morning to sleep in. Um, I, I get that. Anytime we talk about what we spend and anytime we talk about money, there's, there's uh, you know the collective heartbeat in the room starts to race a little bit and they're going, all right, Ryan, are you? Are you sure? And, and um, I am sure. We're going to talk about some things this morning that we all know are true. Um, every single one of us in this room knows many of the things that we're going to talk about this morning. And, and my job is to, this morning, put my finger on sort of the pulse beat of your soul a little bit and to remind you of some things that you know and to ask some questions, hopefully some some questions that get you thinking a little bit. In light of what we know, um, how then do we live? And... Why do we sometimes live contrary to things that we all know are true? Uh, that's been the question I've been wrestling with this, more, uh, this week. It got me thinking about um, a, a vehicle that I owned as a sophomore in college. I had this dream as a freshman that came to fruition as a, as a sophomore of owning a Jeep CJ7. Man. Man. It was a beautiful car So, um, you know, going to college at CSU This is sort of the thing to do And so um, I found in the newspaper um, For those of you who are young that is a paper that used to get delivered (laughs) To your home And you could read about things going on It's sort of like your iPad but in paper, okay? Um, So I found a Jeep in there and, And I went and I, to the glory of God Purchased this Jeep And I had these thoughts in my head of Going off-roading in this thing and I had these these thoughts of souping it up and and it didn't matter to me that There was a ton of miles on this jeep and it it didn't even matter to me that this jeep didn't have a hard top or hard doors I was enamored with this cj7 jeep I can remember getting it that summer and sitting on arapahoe road And I saw in my rearview mirror Thunder clouds billowing like I'd never seen billow before. Now, Arapaho Road, um, there may be like a piece of hell that's Arap- just Arapaho Road where you just sit there in traffic. And so it was backed up miles and miles and miles as I was heading towards Parker Road, and the, the thunder clouds are billowing and billowing and billowing, and I'm sitting in my topless CJ7 Jeep. A sitting duck. And I heard the first roll of thunder and thought, dear Lord, what have I done? And this thunderstorm was a thunderstorm of epic proportions. And I was sitting in traffic on Arapahoe Road when the skies opened up and Aurora got as much rain as they've ever gotten ever, period convinced of this, that in my Jeep, there's this standing water. I'm sitting there, no coat, just a t-shirt, absolutely soaked to the bone. I mean, I might as well have just been holding a sign that said, I'm an idiot, right? To the, and people, people drive up next to you and they, you, that's when you do your best not to make eye contact with anyone. You're just staring forward going, don't look, don't look, don't look. Pretend like you're okay through the shivering, right? And so I had this, like, idea in my head of what this Jeep would bring to my life, and um, that was the beginning of a very rough relationship that we had together. (laughs) Didn't get a whole lot better from there. And I started to think about that because I don't think that my relationship with my Jeep is all that unique. I don't think it's all that unique. See, I had this thought in my head that it would add something to my life, that it would bring something to my life, that it would change me in some way or bring some sort of joy to me that I didn't have before, and it it totally let me down. Totally let me down, and I started to think about that because I think that's many of our relationships that we have with stuff in general. Is that we hope it will add something we hope that it will bring about something in our life. We hope that it will bring some sort of joy or some sort of satisfaction and see here's the deal if we were to be honest with each other this morning we could probably go through most of the things that we own and go mm, doesn't really do that for me. Doesn't really? Doesn't really add all that much to my life. Which makes this time of year all that more difficult, doesn't it? Because the expectation is that we'll go out and spend money. And, and listen, there's nothing wrong with that. I want you to hear me say from the get-go this morning, there's nothing wrong with, with buying things. There's nothing wrong with giving presents. There's just something wrong with expecting something from them that they can never possibly deliver. That's That's the thing that's... That's quote unquote wrong, and I just want to put my finger on it a little bit this morning from the Word of God, and just say, are we at, are we expecting things from our stuff that they were never designed or able to deliver? See, here's the deal: as as Americans, we spend somewhere around 450 billion dollars a year just during Christmas time on stuff. It's about 750 dollars per household. It's a lot of money. So so it it begs me to ask you the question, anyone remember what they got last year for Christmas? I mean, I can remember a few things. I can remember a few things, but I know I opened a lot of presents, and many of them, I don't even know where they are. I don't even know where they are. And so I, I wonder if Jesus might have something to say to us this morning about our stuff and about what we can expect from it and about how to spend on things that really matter. See, what I've noticed about me is that I use the word need very loosely. I use the word need very loosely. In fact, there's very few things that I actually quote-unquote need. And and I think we use the word need pretty loosely. Here's how I know that. Um, because I was flying back From San Diego last week And on the airplane um, In the seat back in front of me And in front of you if you fly There's a magazine called SkyMall Here's how I know we spend a lot of money On things that we don't need SkyMall's in business Now Just for free this morning Here's a few things that currently You can get in SkyMall This unique one of a kind shirt 70 bucks You can get this unique, one-of-a-kind shirt. Now, you don't like that one-of-a-kind? You can get this (laughs) one-of-a-kind. I mean, can we all just agree? Seriously? (laughs) Merry Christmas? You open that up and go, wow. Um, All right. Some people like to sit on the couch with their dogs, and you don't like your dog sitting on your couch. So here's what you do. You buy a dog couch. (laughs) Slash dog bed. Slash whatever. Whatever. Um some people like massages. Some people like leg massages. Some people like to get leg massages while they're sitting on their couch while reading a magazine and if you like that here is a contraption for you. Or some people evidently like I kid you not eye massages. Sky-mall my friends you can buy a machine that you strap to your head that can give you an eyeball Massage. Anybody that woke up and went, you know what I need? Eyeball massage. My eyes are just... Okay, here you go, here you go. How many of you, how many of us have thought, if only my end table served also as a litter box? Only in America, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> only in America. And, and so, I wonder as I wa- as I saw this and I watched the chaos of the day after Thanksgiving sales. I mean, it's only in America that directly after a day where we push the pause button and say thank you to Jesus for every good thing that He's given, that we also set the alarm for midnight to wake up and go buy more. It's only in America. That we do that. And it sort of now marks the beginning of the Christmas season, doesn't it? That chaos ensues at a Walmart near you. So, here's my proposal this morning. We spend all this money on Christmas. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but for me, December 26th is one of the more depressing days of the year. Why is that? I mean, have we we ever stopped to just wonder what's going on in our soul, that the day after we get a ton of stuff is a day where we often are down a little bit? And that maybe we stop long enough and we pause long enough this year to ask the question, are we doing something wrong? Are we going against the flow maybe of the way that God designed us to live and that Jesus is inviting us to find life? If the day after... Getting a ton of stuff probably is a sort of depressing day. My proposal is that maybe we're not spending on the right things. Maybe we're not using money in the way that God invites us to use it. Maybe we're not, and this is going to be really practical. Maybe we're not spending on things that will bring lasting joy. Here's my proposal to us this morning. Is it only a Christmas that's built around a who, not a what, will bring lasting joy? Only a Christmas that's built around a who, not a what, will bring lasting joy. See, see j- this is the way... That Jesus says it in Luke chapter 12 verse 15 and he's talking to this big crowd of people and he starts to tell them this parable And then he said to them watch out be on your guard against all kinds of greed And this is the part I really want to focus on what comes next life does not consist in an abundance of possessions So if our hope is in that in that spending and and buying and even receiving is going to bring us life is going to bring us joy. Jesus is going to say at the onset, no, 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 no. That's not the way you were designed. That's not the way that you were created to live deep within your DNA. And the way that God created you to live as a human being first is that the stuff that we have can maybe add fleeting happiness to our life, but it can never add joy. Why? Because life doesn't consist in the abundance of our possessions. You see... We all know that. That's why I said at the onset, that we're just going to, I'm just going to remind you of things that you already know are true. You you know that's true. We, We live that. We live that. But I think at Christmas and maybe just December in general, we just sort of check out a little bit, go crazy with the rest of the world, and then sort of hone back in around January and pay off everything that we bought. But I wonder what would, what would happen to us as a church, what would happen to us as a people, what would happen in our families if we really started to say, we believe that life, that, that true joy isn't found in the things that we own. How might that change us? My prayer is that it might bring some freedom. Because I think as long as we live with this sort of cloaked view that maybe possessions will bring us joy We can never start seeking things that actually will As long as we continue to buy this lie as long as we hold on to that hope We can't chase after with everything that we have and everything that we are Jesus's real invitation to find life and to find wholeness and to find hope Here just this is just real quick I love reading about the life of Christ and about Scripture and when Jesus talks about money because he talks about it a ton and he never asks for it. He talked about it a ton, but he never asked anybody for any of it. So here's what you know. Here's what you know. Is that when Jesus says something like this, it's not to get something from you. It's to get something for you. And it's to invite you into a beautiful, full life that we can't have if we think it it lands in the stuff that we have. So I want us to look at a passage of Scripture this morning that is so poignant and so telling. It's out of the book of Ecclesiastes. If you have your own Bible, don't be afraid to use a table of contents. It's in the middle. It's in the middle, and it will be up on our screens as well. The book of Ecclesiastes, I think, may be one of the more relevant books Uh, for our day and our time it's written by a guy named solomon and solomon had more than any of us could ever dream or hope or think of having and he's going to invite us this morning into this little experiment that he does his experiment is i have all this money i have all this stuff and i'm going to test it and i'm going to drain it and i'm going to use every resource i have to try to get happy and to, to try to fill up my life and to find pleasure Now, what we're going to find is that he drills down in that, and it still leaves him wanting. Now, let me just uh, speak to us really quickly, because most of us think we believe the lie of more. If I had more, if I had newer, if I had better, then I'd be okay. And so we're stuck in this sort of this cycle, this this belief, this lie that we believe that, that more or newer or better will make us happy. Well, the thing that I love about Solomon is he has more, he has newer, he has better, he has more than he could ever want to buy. He runs out of things to buy because he has so much money. And he goes, didn't work. Didn't work. So so I want us to this morning. Dive into Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and ask God what He might teach us about Christmas through Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Here's the way Solomon starts. I thought in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. Now, Solomon is at this point the wisest person to walk the face of the earth. And so he very analytically says, I'm going to do a test. I'm going to do a little, um, a little sort of experiential examination of what it is that will actually bring me happiness, that will bring me pleasure, that will bring me joy. Here's where he goes. But that proves to be meaningless, sort of empty. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what, is, what does pleasure accomplish I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. M- folly my mind is still guiding me with wisdom. See, see, here's what Solomon says throughout this chapter is, in the midst of the experiment, I didn't lose sight of my goal. I didn't lose sight of my goal. My mind still guiding with me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their life. So with all of his resources and, and, and everything that he has, he says, I'm going to test pleasure. I'm going to see what brings lasting pleasure. I'm going to saturate my life with things that most people dream of. Things that many of us think, if we had those things, then we'd be happy. And so, Solomon had parties. I mean, he says, folly and, and laughter and wine. I mean, Solomon had better parties than you could ever imagine. I mean, you think you went to a great Christmas party this year, Solomon just looks back at you and goes, come on, come on, it's child's play. He had uh, 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 20 through 24, talk about sort of the measures of how much food he would have brought in. And at the pinnacle of his parties, he had somewhere between 15 and 20,000 people per night at his house. And he's going, I brought in, I brought in comedians, and we, and we laughed. I, I brought in great wine, and we, and we drank. I brought in entertainment, and they entertained better than any of us could ever possibly imagine being entertained. And he gets to the end, and he says, meaningless. You see, here's what happened with Solomon. He starts with a certain level of party that he has one night. And we we all know that this is true. He starts with a certain level of party one night. and, And what you know about that party is that that party was good that night, but in order to find that same joy and to find that same hope and to find that same happiness, the party the next night has to be a little bit higher. Right? And so eventually you get higher and you get higher and you get more and you get more lavish and eventually you get fifteen to 20,000 people at your house every night of the week and you wake up in the morning and go, there's still got to be more. There's still got to be more. And here's one of the things that we learn from Solomon, the Christmas wisdom from Solomon, is that everything that we own and maybe even some ways everything that we do, has a diminishing capacity to bring us joy. The, the stuff that we own, the pinnacle of our relationship with that stuff, is Christmas morning. Where we open it up and we look at it and we go, wow, and maybe the first time that we use it, we say, that's amazing. But the truth of the matter is, the truth of the matter is, everything that we own is on its way to one of three places. One, your garage sale. Two, the landfill. Or three, if you're extremely earth-conscious, the recycler. I mean, mean, everything we own. I mean, if that doesn't sort of put a damper on presents at Christmas, I don't know what does. Thank you for this. In ten years, it'll be in the dumpster, though. Wouldn't suggest that. But here's the way that jesus says it he says don't store up for yourself treasure on earth where moss and vermin destroy and where thieves can break in and steal he's like listen everything we own is on a course to the dumpster everything we own but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal I was reminded of that this morning as I sat in my 1997 Honda Accord in my garage and tried to start it. Nothing. Chug, 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 chug. And I thought back. I bet in 1997 somebody dro- drove off the lot of Honda thinking, "This is an amazing car. It's gonna last me forever. It's got a sweet sunroof. It's got. It is a. You aren't gonna get any better than this car ever." And this morning it sits immovable in my garage. I'm reminded that everything we have and everything we own is on a course somewhere. And and it's also, there's an inverse proportional um, relationship between how long we own it and how much joy it brings. That's why we lease cars now. That's why we lease cars. Because, listen, it's... it's the, the, the earlier or, or sorry the um the closer it is to when we purchased it the more joy it brings from us nobody gets into their 10 year old car and goes hey, i'm glad that the air condition doesn't work in this thing anymore <laughs> i'm really glad that i have to roll up the windows with my hand because i needed to work out nobody <laughs> nobody says that nobody says that see everything we own has a inverse proportional relationship to how long we have it and how much joy it brings to us. So this should cause us to step back a few moment, for, for just a moment to say, are the things we're investing our time, energy, and money in worth it? Are, are they worth it? Or are we hoping for something from them that they can never deliver on? Here, here's a here's the truth, and I just want to I just want to make this point. I want to make it clear. Material possessions, please don't hear me saying that they're wrong. Material possessions are not wrong. It's just wrong to expect something from them that they can never deliver. It's just wrong to expect something from them that they can never deliver on. And many of us think, if I just had newer, if I think just had better, if I just had bigger, if I just had more then. And Solomon goes, no, 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 not, not even then. Not even then. Here's the way he continues. In verses 4 through 9, he says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself. So we're going to see this progression. It's a progression that happens in most lives the progression starts with i'm going to seek pleasure from the fun and from the parties and from the stuff and it moves to as we get a little bit older in life i've got to have something that's permanent i've got to i've got to build things i've got to do things that i can that i can see and that are going to last because the party left and it's gone but now what does my life consist of and so solomon moves like many of us do from from the from the party to the let's let's build Let's build Let's see how that works out for him I undertook great projects I built houses for myself Now That's a little bit of an understatement Solomon spent seven years Commissioning the building of the temple That was one of the wonders of the ancient world It was ornately laid with gold It was beautiful He spent seven years building that temple he spent 14 years building his house. So when he says, I, I built houses, <laughs> yeah, he did. He built one for him and for every one of his wives, all 700 of them. It's a totally different story. We don't have time to get into it today. <laughs> so, so he's going to say to us, hey, if you, if you think the bigger house is going to make you happy, he's like, I, I had as big a house as I could possibly imagine and I planted vineyards and I made gardens and parks he he made na- national parks that's what he made he planted forests so listen I know your rose your rose garden is nice and everything and, and it's great and the fountain you have in your yard is good and all that but he's saying listen I, I've got you beat on that I've got you beat I made gardens, and I made parks, and I planted all kinds of trees in them. I made reservoirs. I mean, like, who who has that on their resume? (laughs) Well wasn't enough, I made a reservoir. To water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. He says, listen, I didn't do anything for myself. I had everything, I was weighted on hand and foot. I was as comfortable as any person could ever be. So he's like systematically taking out all of our thoughts and our mind of things that we think will make us happy. I owned more herds of flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. Here, here's what he's saying. I didn't have to choose between the filet mignon and the ribeye. I just got them both every night. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. He's like, listen, my bank account was, was not too shabby. I had more money than some countries. So I guess if you have anything positive in your bank account, you have more than us right now. Anyway, that's a, a whole other story also, which we don't have time for. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well. The delights of a man's heart. He said, whatever I wanted, it was at my fingertips. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. He's like, you think popularity is going to do it? He's like, doesn't. It? it doesn't. I think we see something pretty significant in Solomon's little rant here. And it's this. That a life that's focused on us, a life that's focused primarily on us will never bring lasting joy. If it's just about us, if it's just about me, if it's just about what, what I have and what what I get then, then it's never life is never going to be what I hope that it will be. Cuz let me let me just show you the way that this plays out for Solomon. He says, "I built houses for myself. I made reservoirs. I bought slaves. I owned more herds than anybody. I amassed silver and gold. I acquired. I became greater. And he was left empty. And he wonders why. He wonders why. Because the things that we have will never bring us life especially if it's just about us you see you want to build a christmas that will bring lasting joy build around a who not a what build around build around other people build around walking alongside other people i mean maybe just maybe this christmas instead of buying trinkets and toys for people that they really don't need what if what if you like invested some money in helping people get clean water who don't have any drinking water like like what if we invested some Money in. I mean, there's a, a great orphanage that, that Chris and Melody just went and served with, and Arbol de Vida down in Juarez. What if, what if you put some money down there? What, what if we, what if we walked with Pete and Sue Muckley and the work that they're doing in Liberia and said, listen, we're gonna, we're gonna try to give enough money so that 300 kids can eat food and drink clean water and get an education for a whole year. What, if, what if we did something with our, our money that might last a little bit longer than just christmas to the landfill because here's what solomon says whenever i focused on myself i was just i was left a little bit empty i was left a little bit wanting and i think he was haunted by it see because we can believe the lie of more we can believe if i had newer if i had nicer if i had better if i had bigger then solomon could not believe that He couldn't believe the lie of more because he had more. See, we can hang on to it, and we can hang on to the dream of if, but he says, listen, I lived the if, and it never brought what I hoped it would bring. And if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, he's sort of haunted by it. Because every day was Christmas for me and everybody I knew, and it never brought what we hoped it would bring. Here's the way that he continues. I love how he says in the end of verse 9, in all of this, wisdom stayed with me. He's going, I I didn't lose sight of what I actually hoped to accomplish, which was to see what will bring lasting joy, what will bring lasting hope, what will bring true satisfaction and pleasure in life. He says, "I, I was dialed into that the whole time. Many of us get our eyes clouded, you know, on on Christmas, and and we start to believe uh, some sort of subtle lies, but Solomon says, no, wisdom stuck with me, and I knew, I knew that what I was hoping for and what I was seeking out wasn't found in the stuff. So he says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure." Isn't it interesting how many of us, we'd read that, or many people in our world would read that, and they go, that's what heaven's like. I, I, I deny myself nothing. I had everything that I ever wanted. And Solomon's going, no, 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 no. I had it all. And I was left wanting. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I would toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. Everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. And the brother needs a hug. I mean, he's like, he's at his low point going, I tried it all tried it all, and it was like a chasing after the wind. I mean, he, he paints this picture for us of every time I got close to thinking that I'd landed there and that I'd made it, it, it disappeared. It disappeared. It would be like sort of trying to have a bucket of water here and stick my hand in it and trying to just grab a handful of it and just drips down your arm. Nothing. He says, I wanted to find pleasure in in the Parties in the stuff, in the building, and it turned out to just be chasing the wind. It sort of, it flirted with him, it, it enticed him in, but when he got there, it wasn't there. Man. What he hoped it would bring, it never did. As I thought about that, here, here's where I want to sort of push us as we, land this morning Christmas Christmas wisdom from Solomon see here, here's the thing the quest for pleasure is not wrong the quest for pleasure is not wrong at all I mean we're, we're talking about a God who created the world and, and you read back to Genesis 1 and 2 pre-fall, pre-sin and you tell me that God doesn't want pleasure for you and he creates Adam and Eve In this beautiful garden, he creates them naked and says, By all means, be fruitful and multiply. I mean, this is his design. He's a God who says, I want you. I want you to have pleasure. I want you to have joy. I want you to be satisfied. And I want you to drop the chasing after the things that will never bring it. That will never bring it. See, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1. 11, just one chapter later, he's going to say, Solomon's going to say that that God has uniquely and intentionally placed eternity in the hearts of men and women, that he sunk that deep within us, And so that means, because he's placed eternity there, that no matter how many things we stuff there and how many things we put there, it's bottomless. And that's why the stuff of life never brings what we hope it will bring, because what we're searching for is a God who's eternal, not stuff that's temporal. And the longing that we have isn't a bad longing. See, the quest for pleasure isn't wrong. Here's what's wrong. It's wrong to settle for things that don't bring pleasure lasting satisfaction that's why jesus said the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy but i have come that you may have life and have it to the full he wants to fight for your joy sometimes in order to reach on to him fully there's some other stuff That's in our hands and it might be really shiny and it might be some really great trinkets But there might be some other stuff in our hands that we need to drop in order to cling To him. You see here's the truth of the matter a christmas built around a what will never last but a christmas built around a who Will bring lasting joy and that's what he wants See, I think our problem I think our problem isn't that we chase pleasure too hard I, I think that we'd—I don't think we chase it hard enough. I don't think many of us have these Solomon moments where we go, and wisdom didn't leave me. In translation, and this didn't bring what I hoped it would. So let's do some reevaluation. I love the way that C.S. Lewis puts it when he says we're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like ignorant, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making. Mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what was meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. So Jesus isn't saying to us, hey, hey, hold off. Like you're, you're too hedonistic. He's saying you're not hedonistic enough. You, you don't want pleasure enough to keep drilling down and keep settling for shiny, newer, bigger, more. And he says, will you just come to me? I love the way that Isaiah puts it as he quotes from God Almighty. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. Come you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come by wine and milk without money, without cost. And then he asked this great question that maybe we should ask ourselves. Why spend money on bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? He's saying, is it time to get off the hamster wheel of more? Is it possible that we could spend less and get more? Is it possible that we could spend less and actually walk away with more than we could ever possibly imagine? Listen. Listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affairs. See, here's here's a transformational truth that I want to leave us with this morning is that God designed you and me to long for pleasure so that it would lead us to Jesus. That's that eternal void in our soul. That we can put as much stuff in and fill with as many parties and as many things as we want. And Solomon did it and he said, I was still empty. It's because it's an eternal void. And God designed you with it intentionally so that you would run to his throne to find grace, to find mercy, to find hope, to find healing, to find life abundant. Better than you could ever possibly imagine. And here's the deal. It's hard to run to that throne when we're carrying a ton of trinkets and toys with us. See, a Christmas is built around a what will never last. A Christmas is built around a who brings lasting joy. St. Augustine said it this way. God, you've made us for yourself. And our hearts are Restless until they find their rest in you. So in John 7, Jesus says, hey, anyone who's thirsty, come. Come on. Are you you thirsty? Come. He says, come to me. And within you, it'll be like springs of living water that just burst out. My prayer for us today is that we would be thirsty enough to do the experiment that Solomon does to say, does the stuff that we have make us happy? And see, if if our answer to that is no, can it leave us with a challenge that says, this Christmas, maybe we spend a little bit less and invest a little bit more and the one who actually brings lasting joy. Maybe we don't chase after the wind this year. Because listen, it's going to be gone when you get there. Maybe we don't chase after the wind. Maybe we don't buy what's going to spoil and what the book of Isaiah says is just going to fade. But maybe we run to the spring of living water and the God who says, if you drink from me, you'll never thirst again. Maybe that's, maybe that's where we go. Maybe we spend less on trinkets and toys and maybe we give more to Liberia or more to um, Juarez and the orphanage there or, or North Littleton Promise that's right up the street that does an amazing ministry. Maybe we just decide this year we're going to do things a little bit different. And hey, if the last years have worked perfectly for you, by all means, keep doing it. But my guess is that if you're anything like me, December 26th comes and I go i did this right i wonder if there was more i wonder if building around a who rather than a what might just make all the difference in the world my prayer my prayer is that that haunting in our souls of this may not be right would intensify this year to the point that it would drive us to do things differently he wants your joy more than you do Sometimes we need to drop some stuff in order to chase after him. Let me pray for us.